Good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Gus. You probably already know that because I did a little notice a minute ago. Just, uh, just by way of introduction for uh, any regulars that are here this morning, um, something you may not know, although you might have spotted, is that this is the first time I've spoken at Oasis Church since the 7th of July, 2013. That's nearly three months. No, you're not supposed to cheer. <laughs> just, just wanted to say thank you, actually, to those of you that have been asking me over the last two or three months, when is it you're going to be back preaching, Gus, really missing you? So thank you, Janie. Thank you, Janie, for uh, asking me that question. And uh, if anybody was wondering why I haven't been around for the last few months, it's A, because uh, we wanted to give some other people an opportunity to preach, B, because we wanted to hear quite a bit from Adrian when he came back from sabbatical, and C, because we had uh, that little operation that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and therefore we didn't quite know whether I was going to be able to stand or not. So uh, the good news is it's not because my preaching is rubbish. And hopefully you're already receiving that. Uh, I just wanted to touch, interestingly enough, however, on James chapter 3, verse 1, which is one of the verses we're going to be glazing over in the passages of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. And it says this, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. <laughs> we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what they say, they're a perfect person, able to keep their whole body in check. There is a responsibility that comes with speaking and teaching, and it's there in the Word of God. And the, the trouble with it, if trouble is the right word, is that those of us that are listening to whoever it is that's speaking to us will be weighing up what we know of the person's life and character with what they're actually sharing. And sometimes we might struggle a little bit, because if you know that person well, you may be sitting in your seat thinking, well, you're saying that X or Y or Z, but actually I know this. And I just wanted to be up front uh, this morning, not that I'm about to share some revelation of some shocking sin that drives me out of preaching for the next six months and forevermore, but actually what we're going to be looking at this morning is some teaching in the book of James around the things that we say and how we say them. And as I've come into this scripture, these scriptures, there's two passages, a very quick realisation to myself as I was praying was that sometimes my brain and my mouth don't engage very well. And I say things that I don't mean to say. And my wife will vouch for that, because often I have to apologise to her, Janie, for saying things that I don't mean to say. My children will vouch for that if they were both here. They would say, yeah, Dad often doesn't engage brain to mouth, and he says things, and I have to apologise. Sometimes I say things to people in Oasis that I wish I hadn't said. I've said things on the front that I wish I hadn't said. Uh, uh, when we were advertising the Marriage Matters course, Marriage Matters question mark, for those of us that remember that, I said something in an announcement on one of those Sundays w w which was like this. If you want to be part of Marriage Matters course, why don't you come along? Because it's been run by the A-team in Oasis Church, my wife, Ian, my wife and Jane and Vincent Deb. That's what I said. The A-team. Well, there is no A-team in Oasis Church. And I was at that point making a distinction between my wife and I and Vince and Debbie and we're the ones to be around and immediately excluding a whole lot of other people in the church that actually we love having around. That's just me being honest. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm okay about it. But I sometimes say things that are wrong. As we look at this passage of Scripture today, my encouragement to all of us, if you will, please, is not to look at it and think, oh, yes, Gus, but I know you say this or you do that and you're like that. It's in the Holy Spirit to do some self-analysis. To ask God to look at your own heart, to think about your own words, 
to think about the things that you listen to and be open to what God is saying to you rather than thinking, how is it applying to me? I've already done that journey, which is why I've started like I have, to be honest about it, that I too am on the journey to becoming more like God. So I just wanted to share that. We all stumble in many ways. That includes me, and it includes you. If anyone is never at fault in what they say, they're a perfect person able to keep their whole body in check. Even James, who, as we learned last week, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and someone that proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Christ, even he knew in writing those words that he stumbled in many ways and often messed up. And we need to be honest about that as we share together this morning. So that's that introduction. If we're looking at some scripture about words and what comes out of our mouth, the best thing to do is tiptoe quickly to what Jesus said about it before we get to James. Jesus can often bring some direct insight into this kind of thing. And he did. And in Luke 6 verse 45... We've got a very simple directive or, or observation from Jesus. He says this, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. What I say and how I say it, what comes out of this little thing that we have in all our faces, determines what's in here. And Jesus is therefore saying, think about what's in here first, and then it'll determine what comes out of here second. Now, I became a Christian when I was nine years old, on the 14th of July, 1974. I know that because my mum wrote it down. So that was a kindness to me that I know that. It's for me, I've got a date and a time and a place where I said a prayer, which was along the lines of Jesus. I know I'm a messed up kid, even at the age of nine. I know they've done wrong things in my life. I know I'll continue to do wrong things in my life. And I know that you, Jesus, have paid the price for those wrong things. You've died on the cross in order that I don't have to suffer the punishment for all those wrong things, in order that I can have a relationship with God that goes on and on forever. I knew that at the age of nine. And I prayed a prayer that, in my terminology at the time, was accepting Jesus into my heart. It's not terminology we use that often these days, but in the 70s, there was a lot of it going around. Are you going to accept Jesus into your heart? wasn't the prayer of a nine-year-old that didn't know what he was doing. It was a prayer of a young lad that knew what Jesus had done on the cross and was committed to living a life of thanks ever since. And so Jesus coming into my heart, into my life, at that moment, at that time, has shaped the rest of my days. I would say that Jesus is at the center of what I'm doing, although I might stumble along the way as I go. The question for all of us here today, and you, as I say, you may have a date, a time, and a place already today where you can say, yeah, I've said a prayer like that. You may be somebody who's more on a journey, and you know that you love Jesus, and you understand the cross, but there's no date, time, and place. That's okay. You may be somebody who's on a journey and doesn't believe Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins, whatever that means. But whatever, I want us to think about, as we look at this scripture, what's going on inside here? What's in your heart? What are you centered on? What's the Lord of your life? And be honest about it. What is it for you? Is it sport? Be honest. Is it business and success? Is it education? Is it the arts and entertainment? Is it adventure? Is it family? What is it for you that shapes what's going on in here? And as we'll see as we look at this scripture this morning, what's going on in here absolutely defines what comes out of here. And most of what I'm speaking about this morning is about what's going on in here to dictate what's coming out of here, so that when we get to the what's coming out of here bit at the end, we're thinking, man, I want to be like that. I want to do that. I want to be godly in it. What's going on in here? 
So that's what's going on in the heart. Now let's turn to James, the book of James. We're in a series called Living Faith. Adrian introduced it last week. We're only week two of the series. Why are we calling it Living Faith? Because those of us that are followers of Jesus would say that we've got a faith that is living in one who is alive. Jesus rose again from the dead. A faith that is living in one who is alive. And it's a living thing and it's a growing thing. It's not a static thing. So it's an alive thing, therefore it's a living faith. And faith in Jesus should dictate how we live our lives on a daily basis. Which is why we've come up with the little alarm clock imagery for this series. Because we want us to think about whenever we look at an alarm clock, or whether we look at a clock on the wall, which I will glance at occasionally as I preach, whenever we look at our phones to find out what time it is, whenever we look at any kind of digital clock or any kind of clock, we want us as a church, as a body of believers, to think, ah, living faith, what am I doing to demonstrate the love of Jesus in my life today, right now? That's why we call it living faith. And the other thing that's just worth mentioning in terms of the book of James is this, that the book of James is probably a series of preaches or talks that James himself delivered in his day that someone put together in a letter to bless the believers of the day. James, it would appear, was a preacher or a teacher. And you can see that when you read the book of James, because one, he's got some magnificent illustrations that he uses to try and draw people into the teaching that he's bringing. And secondly, he kind of dives around and gets sidetracked. So he'll start one, one, one line of thinking, and he'll start delivering it, and then he'll go off to another one, and then he'll come back to what he was talking about, and then he'll go back to what he was talking about again. And that's what preachers do. They kind of dive around a bit here, there, and everywhere. And so that's how we need to think about reading the letter of James, and that helps us shape what we're talking about today, which is why today we're looking at a bit from James chapter 1, the end of, and a bit from James chapter 3, which is a couple of chapters later, obviously, because the two actually fit together in terms of James teaching what he wants to teach us. So why don't we read it? Let's look at the Bible. We're going to read the Bible. We love the Bible here in Oasis. I'm going to read it, and then we'll see what we can find. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 26. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For human anger does not bring about the righteous life that God deserves. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone consider themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts of pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Side point at this point, those are two things, two subjects, that we're not looking at today in our, in our message. Paul, uh, James is alluding to caring for the poor orphans and widows, a theme in his letter that we're not looking at today, but we were looking at other weeks. And he's also looking at what it's like to live a holy life, not being polluted by the world. We're also not looking at that today. So if you're hoping for an exposition on the word religion that's there in the Bible, and it only occurs, occurs there once or twice, and those two topics, we're not going to get it. We'll get that in future weeks. James 3 verse 1, continuing this theme of keeping a tight rein on the tongue. And here's the verse we've just heard. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my fellow believers, 
because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If, no, if anyone is never at fault in what they say, they're a perfect person able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We'll take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil amongst the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, I bet you want to hear about that bit. <laughs> bet you do. Unfortunately, again, you're not. You're going to get a one-line uh, explanation of that bit, and it's this. That li little bit, the tongue being set on fire by the fire of hell, is an allusion to the fact that sometimes we say things, and we think, where on earth did that come from? How on earth can I say those damaging things, those hurtful things, those angry things, those things that we know are really horrible, how on earth can I say such things? And James is alluding to the fact that he's saying there's a source of evil from where that's coming from. And let's be serious about it, there is. And that source of evil dictates the evil that comes out of our mouth, which is why we can't stop saying evil things, because there is a source of evil we all need to be aware of. That's teaching on that bit. Back to the verse. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a, restful, uh, sorry, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the, sum, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear sorry, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's a great passage. There's so much in there that we could spend hours speaking on it, and then Adrian had to start flicking me after quite a long time. And I don't want that either. But we are going to look at this passage today and draw out, I think, what the heart of the passage says and then relay it practically to ourselves at the end. So it's called reaction time. It's reaction time this morning. It's reaction time because ultimately I want us to think about the sorts of things that come out of our mouth, the sort of words that we say and how we say it and why we say them, and to us to think about how well we are reacting in those times where we say things that perhaps we think we shouldn't have said. So there's a kind of reaction time imagery that's going on there. I also want to bring us to a point of reacting to what I'm going to say and share with us all this morning. Reacting or responding. We do this quite regularly at Oasis Church, but at the end of my message, I'm going to ask four or five questions of us as an encouragement to say, like, where are you with all of this? What's your reaction to it? That's another type of reaction time. And the final reaction that we're going to spend most of time looking at, to be honest with you, is the reaction to what I've already shared, which is what's going on here. What's going on in your heart? What is going on in your heart? What are you centred on at the moment? Because actually, as I've said already, what's going on in here will dictate what's coming out of here. So we want to build on our reaction to what's going on in here in order to determine what's coming out of here, and then we'll be able to determine what sort of reaction time we have with actually what comes out of here a little bit later on. Now you may say to me, why do you keep going on about this, Gus? This what's in here, what's in the heart? 
We haven't even got to the passage really yet. You keep giving me headliners. The reason is James does it himself. This is exactly what James is doing himself. Because he uses a verse in this scripture to define all the rest of the scriptures that are around it. And the verse is verse 21b, the second bit of verse 21, which is saying, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Let's read that, those two verses again to say, and we'll do it in James preaching style. I didn't read it out exactly like this because I wanted to build to this moment. But if James is preaching this, he, may be, he, he would say something like this. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And pregnant pause from James the preacher. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That's the bit he wanted to sink in. He wanted to go deep. He wanted people to catch because the word going deep, the word being planted in will affect what comes out because he knew Jesus' teaching as well. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. What is planted in you? What is in your heart? What is going deep with you this morning? What is the word planted in us? Some of us might be thinking, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the word, therefore Jesus is the word that James is referring to in this passage of Scripture. Actually, that's not the case. On this particular occasion, James is referring to the word of God. James is referring to the word of God. He's referring to everything that's written down up to a point in his time. Obviously, he didn't have all of it by then in the Bible, as he had it in his day. And everything that's written down in the Bible in his day was a pointer for how to live a life which had God at the center and a pointer to Jesus being the center. So he wanted people to have the word of God planted in them, rooted deep in them. And as we all know, I'm sure, the word of God points to the one who is the word, which is Jesus. So can we accept the word planted in us which can save us? Yes, we can. Let's get it in us because we want to have the one who is the word also planted in us as well. He wanted that to go deep. He wanted that to go in with the believers. Thank you, Mike. The word of God planted in us. Now, what do we know about Jesus' teaching on things going deep in our lives? I've already talked about what comes out of our mouth being an indication of what's in the heart. One of Jesus' most famous stories, and Mike alluded to one earlier on, this is another one, is the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is a great story because we have God the Father in the story who's the farmer. And he's the farmer who's chucking the seed out on the land that's around. And he's chucking the seed liberally and enthusiastically and with a carefree nature because he wants every single person who can possibly receive the word of God to receive the word of God. I was once in a church where the preacher had some seed and literally chucked it over the congregation. It was really annoying. It's like getting confetti in your hair at a wedding and rice down your back and all the rest of it. But it was an interesting illustration because the seed that he had was annoyingly found in all sorts of different parts of the body days later. The word of God being liberally thrown out for everybody to hear. What happens to the word of God? Some of the word falls on the path. 
And on the path, it's trampled and the birds come and eat it. Some of the seed falls on the rocks, where it grows up a little bit, but then it withers due to the lack of moisture. Some of the seed falls amongst the thorns, where it grows up a little bit, but then the other plants and the other brambles and all the rest of it around it choke it and stop it dying. Some of the seed falls on good soil, and because it's good soil, it goes deep, it goes in, there's moisture, there's richness, there's everything that's needed in order for the soil to grow, for the seed to grow. It's the parable of the sower. It's about what's going in and what's staying in and what's going to shape what's inside us. Now, the parable of the sower is a punchy one because Jesus then goes back and said, like, who, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you a path person this morning? Seed on the path. What's the seed on the path? It's the seed, the good news, the word of God, the word that is God, being received well, actually, but immediate objections come to it. Immediate objections to you hearing what sounds like good news, but actually, no, I just don't, I'm just not going to believe it. It's trampled on and taken away by the birds. Are you a path person this morning? Jesus, not at the center of everything, because you absolutely don't believe it. Are you a rock person? A rock person who receives the word, think it's great, start living in the light of it, but then hardship comes. Life gets difficult, and you start thinking, actually, this is not as good news as I thought it was in the first place. And what's in here starts to disappear. Are you a thorn person this morning? The seed is sown. It's good news. It's received well. You start living in the truth of it and the joy of it, and it's wonderful. And it's at the heart. And then our other attractions begin to come in life that take your gaze off the good news that you've received. Other attractions of life, of which there are many, and all of a sudden you lose sight of what was in your heart in the first place. Or are you a soil person where the seed goes in, sticks, starts to grow, and shapes your very existence? What's in your heart? Be honest this morning. Where are you? You could be somebody here this morning who you know is a path person. You just have objections and that's it. If you are, permission not to live. Listen to any of the rest of my message this morning. All I'd like you to do is think, why have you got those objections? What is it that's stopping you? Here, what is potentially good news and can change your life forever. I'm not saying, uh, why is it that's stopping you? I'd just be interested to hear. Perhaps Alpha is a place for you to come on. Because that's the, that's the place where we talk about objections and start to think, oh, why, why do you think that? And what about this and all the rest of it? If you're somebody who's on a journey where you know that hardship is snookering you or attractions of this life are getting your eye off Jesus, be honest about it. Be honest about it. So that's where I'm at this morning. Jesus is no longer the center of my existence because I've become distracted or downhearted by other things. You could be a good soil person. You could be, actually, Gus, doing pretty well. Jesus is the center. I want to grow in him. Give me it. And if that's you, great, because we're going to see how that's going to outwork in terms of our understanding of what James is t preaching about here. So what's in you? What's in the heart of you this morning? James pushes the point even further. He doesn't stop there. You may be thinking you're still saying the same thing, Gus. Correct, because James keeps saying the same thing. He ups the ante. He then starts to share about his famous mirror illustration. Turning the screw somewhat. It's as if he gets a mirror. Remember, he's a preacher. He gets a mirror. It wouldn't be as modern as this one. And he starts waving it to his crowd, saying, right, here comes an illustration. You're going to love this because I've practiced this at home in front of the mirror, if he had one. 
his famous mirror illustration. And this is all about what's going on in here and living out what's going on in here. Because if it's not in here in the first place, you're just not going to live it out. The passage, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. I can see me as you can see me. And it's slightly unnerving preaching, looking at myself as I'm doing so. But I'm having a nice, good, long look. And yes, I'm looking very handsome this morning. You shouldn't laugh at that bit either. You should just agree. After looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's learned but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now here's something that you may or may not know. Mirrors in first century Palestine were a rare and novel thing to have in your world. Not many people had mirrors in those days. And therefore, those people that did have a mirror were really pleased that they had one. A little bit like having a new toy. I've got a mirror. I'm going to use it. Oh, is it exciting? I never knew I looked like that. Boy, I'm handsome. Or boy, I'm beautiful if you're a woman. And they'd spend a lot of time looking at themselves in a mirror because not many people had one. They probably had mirror parties. <laughs> Come round, I've got a mirror. It's like the new Xbox bloody doll, whatever it's called. Come round, I've got one. Bring your mates round. We're all going to enjoy it. Look at my mirror. Did you know that you looked like that? Never did. That's fantastic. <laughs> the point is this, and there is a point. When James talks about a man who looks at his face in the mirror, most people think, ah, oh, you see, he's talking about this kind of thing. Quick glance. Sudden glimpse. Oh, yeah, and now I've forgotten what I've looked like. James is not talking about that. He's talking about having a good long look at yourself. The Greek word for looks at in the mirror here is the same Greek word as looks intently as he uses it when he talks about the scripture. He's talking about having a good long look, a good long look at yourself in the mirror, a good long look, not a brief look, versus a good long look at the word of God, the scriptures, where you find Jesus. Two things the same. And that's important because he says then there's a difference. And there's a difference because the mirror man, ooh, <laughs> thank you to the 80s fans here. <laughs> Some of you are other thinking, what is he on this morning? Uh, it's my mouth not engaging again. Anyway, the mirror man does something that the law man, and there's not a song for that, doesn't do. He goes away. He goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whereas the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he doesn't go away. He keeps on looking. He continues. He continues to dwell on the goodness that is there. The, 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 the mirror man immediately forgets what he looks like, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues to work it out. And the mirror man is deceived into thinking, well, I look like this, but now I can't remember. Whereas the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he will be blessed in what he does. There's not deception, there's blessing. So the more that we look into the word of God, 
the more we let it sink, the more we look to Jesus, the more that we allow him to be the center of our lives, the more we will be blessed. We will receive blessing, we will receive freedom, we will receive salvation. We will receive a sense of wholeness in who we are with Jesus such that we can be like he wants us to be. If you do look intently into a mirror this morning or when you go home or whenever you do it, think about that. Think about looking intently into the face of Jesus and making it shape the rest of your lives rather than just be something that's temporary that you do on a Sunday. Because you might be somebody that reads your word regularly, prays faithfully, brings a contribution on a, on a Sunday enthusiastically, does a little bit of witnessing during the week, but there's nothing really going on here. It's what you're supposed to do. And God's looking for somebody who really loves doing it because he's got some news to share about how great Jesus is. What's going on in here? So don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Which all builds to the practical outworking of, that, of this. The practical outworking, the bit that we like to hear some, some edgy teaching on. So the speaking and the listening and the anger and the control of the tongue and this kind of thing. And we've got there now. But this, James is saying, is like a huge signpost to where you are in your relationship with God this morning. It's a huge signpost. What comes out of your mouth actually is indicative of how much is going on in here. I say this not to condemn, but to challenge. Have a little think about it. What comes out of your mouth? Good things come out of your mouth? Kind things come out of your mouth? Helpful things come out of your mouth? Or a whole lot of nasty stuff that's unhelpful and angry and annoying and just a bit of downer? So what does he say? He says this. Everyone should be quick to listen in chapter 1, verse 19. He says everybody should be slow to speak. He says everybody should be slow to become angry. He says in chapter 1, verse 26, keep a tight rein on your tongue. And in those verses in chapter 3 that we read out, he says basically control your use of your tongue. That's what he's saying. So let's look at these with a reaction time as the backdrop. Reaction time as the backdrop. What do you like in some of the practical outworkings of these things? Quick to listen. You a listener? Or are you a talker? Be honest. Listener or, talk or talker? What is listening? Listening is using news teeth to hear what's being said to you. Then it's looking to understand what is being said to you. A bit of feedback goes on. Hmm, did you say this or did you mean that? You're working out an agreement with the person who's talking to you what it is they're saying. You're being active in listening in order to engage in the conversation, in order to really bring some goodness to the whole thing. James is saying, be quick to listen. Be quick to be like that. Are you a listener like that? Or are you not, not a listener and a bit of a talker? That's the listening. Slow to speak. Slow to speak. If you're a talker, perhaps you need to talk a little bit less. You can't be quick to listen if you're quick to speak. And James wants us to be slow to speak. He wants us to prefer the other person. He wants us to really get inside the other person's brain or skull or being in order to understand where they're really at. I want to know you. I want to get inside you. I want to share with you life on life. Do you like that? Or are you just a... Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Now, it's another one of those big topics in a, s a small amount of time. Anger's a massive topic. 
because all sorts of questions start rising up from the whole thing. Is there such a thing as acceptable anger and unacceptable anger? Are we allowed to be angry as Christians? The answer to that question is yes, we are. Because God himself in the scriptures is occasionally angry. So there must be something as acceptable anger if God himself can be angry. So it's a question about how that anger looks. And it does say in the Bible, doesn't it? In your anger, do not sin. Is unacceptable anger something along the lines of uncontrollable outbursts of emotion where we're wounded and hurt? Where we're feeling proud and have got a point to make and want to impose our view on somebody else? Where we're feeling full of malice because we want to destroy something because we're in control? Where we're full of envy because we don't like something the way it's worked out and we want to change it? Is that acceptable anger or unacceptable anger? I'd say that's unacceptable anger. What about acceptable anger? Could it be controlled reaction to somebody else being wounded? You don't like what you're seeing that's happening to somebody else and therefore you're getting angry about it because that can't be right? Could it be controlled anger about somebody who is being proud and who is being a dictator, which is why we get angry about some of the things we see going on in Syria, for example? Could it be anger where we're full of mercy because we don't want people who are hurting and dying to be hurting and dying? And our heart is to try and help, so we start getting angry about it. Could it be that our heart of love for people is so strong that righteous anger begins to fly up? Acceptable anger versus unacceptable anger. There is a place for acceptable anger. But even in it, James says, in your anger, be slow to anger. Because out-of-control anger, and anger all the time, even if it's righteous anger, doesn't help you engage very well with people. They just see you as an angry person with a point to prove. Slow to anger. And then chapter 3. And chapter 3, I'm going to bomb through this, actually. Chapter 3 is about the tongue having control of us. The bit in the horse, the rudder of the ship. Tiny little thing that controls something. Horse out of control is unsafe and dangerous and makes you feel a bit scary. Ship out of control is not one that you would be on. You think, I'm not going on that ship. There's nothing controlling it. When you bring control to these things, bit in horse, rudder in ship, safety comes. There's power and magnificence and beauty in a horse that's being ridden well, that has a bit in its mouth. And a ship that has a rudder that's steering the right course makes you think, this is great, I'm enjoying the journey. And Paul's point at this point is that the tongue can be used in control to speak good things, to do good things. A little tiny thing in our mouths that can bring such weight of good to everybody in our environment. Are you using your bit or your rudder to bring good to people, to bring safety, to bring enjoyment, to bring peace, to bring joy, or is it destruction and chaos and fear? That's what he's saying in that first part of the scripture. And then he says in the second bit, and I alluded to Earlier on, we need to be careful not to be hypocrites. Because out of our tongue, out of our mouths, comes praise and worship. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord on a Sunday. Isn't he good? Oh, yes. And then that person, I hate them. And this person in the office, I'm going to backbite against them. And this situation is always so rubbish at Oasis. And I don't know why Gus goes on as much as he does. I'm, I'm just pleased he hasn't been around for the last three months. <laughs> That's the sort of thing we do. And Paul is bringing teaching to say control it. Bring good, bit and rudder, that's important. And on the other extreme, because of the fire of hell that can be in us, that can change us to nice people into evil people, control it. Take control of your tongue. 
So that's where we've got to this morning. What's in here and what's coming out of here? It's time to react. It's time to make a response. Is Jesus right at the heart of your life, honestly, this morning? Is he in there determining everything that you want to try and outwork in your Christian experience? Is he? Because if he's not, this could be a moment for you to say, I'm just going to come back to him this morning. I'm just going to come back. I'm just going to lay it on the table and say, Lord, I've I've lost my way a bit. I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. You're going through the motions in your Christian experience. A mirror-type person, if you will. Going through all the right motions, reading the word, praising God, praying. But actually, you just know it's religion. Because it's not really in here. It's just things you've been told to do over the course of your life. Come back to Jesus this morning. Are you someone who would say that Jesus is here at the heart of who you are? Like me, for example. But sometimes you just say some rubbish things. And you kind of wish that you didn't. You just want to be honest about it. Say, actually, I just, I just need some help with this. My, my brain and my mouth sometimes disengage and I don't want to be the case. Or are you someone who doesn't listen and is always talking? And you just want to change? Or are you volatile and angry and a bit of a downer on life and want Jesus to change that? Why don't we stand up? Because I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And as we do, there is no condemnation in this. There is no condemnation in this. Because James also, and he's so wise and he's so straightforward, he says in the middle of chapter 3, and I've forgotten the verse, no human being can tame the tongue. Is what he actually says in that passage. No human being can tame the tongue. On their own, we are completely stuck. But with Jesus at the center, everything is possible. There's no condemnation. Only Jesus can make a difference. Let's just pray then, shall we? And then if you want to respond, I'll give you a chance to. God, I want to thank you that the cross is the thing that we count on. Your death, your resurrection, our ability to run into the Father's presence and be accepted as we are, who we are. I want to thank you, Lord, that it's available for all. And I want to thank you that you've revealed that to us through your word that gives us the word, Jesus, as the focus of all things in our lives. Just thank you for that, God. Lord, that's our heart, first and foremost, this morning, to just lay ourselves bare before you and say, come and be center, come and be Lord, come and be number one. And Lord, as we do that, we want to be honest as well. We say, actually, sometimes we get it wrong. We say wrong things. We're unkind. We're angry. We go through the motions. We pretend that we're in love with you and we're not. And Lord, I pray you'd help us just to be genuine men and women of integrity, living open lives so that we can proclaim you as King and Lord and other people can see you through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just keep your eyes shut then. If you want to make a response to any of those five things, you know Jesus isn't the center, you want him to be. You're going through the motions, you want to be honest about that. You feel like he is, but your mouth doesn't engage with your brain. You're a bit of an over-talker or you're angry. I'll flick through them, not to be trivial. God could be speaking to you through this. If anybody wants to make a response to that, why don't you just raise your hand, every eye shut, raise your hand, and at the end of the meeting, once I've closed it, come forward and receive some prayer for it. We'll stand with you in prayer on this. So just chapter three and then raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three. Okay, thank you. Number of hands up. So if you know who you are, just encourage you at the end. Come forward. There'll be a prayer team at the front with a badge on saying they can pray. We'll pray with you. We'd love to stand with you.
For the rest of us, you can open your eyes now. We're going to close the meetings. So that's the usual thing. If you've got children, please do go and get them. If you haven't, don't. Uh, otherwise, just hang around. Coffee at the back. And obviously, bring and share lunch to have so we don't have to rush off and move us. Thank you for listening.